Thanks for tuning in to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thirst for More podcast was created to help strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, fitness enthusiasts, and anyone that loves lifting heavy shit all be connected under one roof. We take deep dives into coaching, programming and training, running gyms, nutrition, and overall improving your knowledge in the field of strength and conditioning. If you're new here, I'm glad you're able to tune in and hope you can just take away one awesome piece of information today to help you along with your journey. If you're a returning supporter, I appreciate you being along for the ride. Now let's dive into today's episode. What's up, everyone? Brandon here from the Thirst for More podcast and the live episode this month talking about single leg training for athletes. So again, if you happen to be listening to this in the past, you really want to kind of absorb this a little bit. Uh, you can catch this on YouTube. So this is a YouTube live. That is how this is recorded. And I think you can check out the slides that I have here and it will help kind of bring everything together. So if you want to watch this in the past, just go watch it over on YouTube. But you can also listen to this audibly as you are and you will probably still take away some good things that you can use and get some quality education out of this. But it's also designed to allow for Q&A and, you know, question and answers on anything. So I bring a topic to discuss, but at the end of the day, this is also about just giving you the opportunity to ask questions. So, so you know, these are uh, the first Sunday of every month. So today is obviously October 1st. It happened to fall on the first day of the month. Awesome. Uh, but the first Sunday of every month at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and you can check these out. I know it happens to be during NFL football season, during the fall. Kind of sucks. Uh, but if you can bear with me, these are usually only planned to be between 30 and 60 minutes. So it could be shorter, it could be a little longer, but generally speaking, that's what they're going to be. So again, today we're going to talk about single leg training for athletes. And so to start things off, the first thing we want to talk about here is why are we going to use single leg training for athletes? You know, why is it important? Uh, how can this help us develop athletes to be better uh, for their sports and increase their performance. So the first thing here is obviously stability. The second going to be injury reduction or, you know, prevent, trying to prevent injury. You know, we can't 100% prevent injury, but we want to do the best that we can. Uh, so that's obviously a thing. We're also going to talk about the bilateral deficit, what that is, and then why that's also important for training athletes. I also think it's important just for anybody personal training clients, the average person needs to do single leg training as well. But we're going to talk about why it's important specifically for athletes. We're also going to talk about the said principle in this, which we'll talk about a little bit more in detail once we get there. But again, this kind of helps dictate some things for us. So we can't really forget about them. We also got uh, cross education. If you don't know what that is, we're going to talk about how that is also amazing for athletes. And the final thing we're going to talk about here is the gait cycle. Okay, so first thing we need to talk about here is stability. And we know that athletes need stability, right? I mean, everybody needs stability to some degree, but athletes, it's even more important. Uh, generally, they are controlling some kind of object or they're trying to get in the way of a defender in, in the way of a defender or out of the way of a defender. Or if they're a defender, they're trying to pursue something or someone. Uh, so having stability lets us do that to be able to move our body in different planes of motion and get to certain positions. So I think that part is incredibly important. It's very obvious, but we need to make sure that that's stated. We understand that that's kind of deriving uh, part of our programming. 
The next is, you know, how many sports are played with just both feet in contact with the ground at the same time? And I have on here, not very many. There's not a whole lot of sports to where both legs are constantly on the ground all the time. Usually there's running, jumping, skipping, leaping, bounding, um, you know, rotating, anything like that. Most athletes are in a single leg stance at some point during their sporting event and their practices. Most skills during sport are performed with one leg on the ground. I just kind of talked about that. And then the single leg strength cannot be developed through double leg exercises. So, yes, you can do like a goblet squat or a back squat and your legs are going to get stronger. No question. However, that strength doesn't transfer over quite as well to a single leg stance because of the stability, right? You know, you've got to have stability on that limb to be able to display that strength, power, speed. Therefore, training the legs one at a time will result in more powerful double leg or bilateral leg uh, stances and single leg stances if we train the single leg piece of it. It will also strengthen the core. I hate that word, but I put it on here just so it's very easy for people to understand. The trunk, torso, as a whole, being able to stabilize those loads on one leg, our trunk musculature is going to have to kick up to stabilize, and that's going to give them some extra uh, training for that. Next, we've got here injury reduction, as I kind of mentioned. And when it comes to safety while training, that's obviously incredibly important. Um, but single leg exercise cause less spinal compression, so they put the back through less quote-unquote wear and tear. Now, this isn't always 100% the case because depending on how you load things, um, it could cause some low back issues. That's always a risk that we are going to have. However, the big thing here is that on many single leg exercises, the barbell is not actually on the body in terms of like compressive. Now, you can certainly do a split squat with the barbell on your back or a rear foot elevated split squat with a barbell on your back. Absolutely. But generally speaking, you can hold dumbbells in a goblet position at your hands. Um, you can even go with a front rack position. You know, you can hold sandbags. You can do med balls. There's lots of different ways to load these. And I think that gives you the ability to get away from that compressive force if you need to. And, you know, that's somebody, I'm one of those people, compressive forces do not go well with my back anymore. So I find different ways to load things and it's still pretty optimal. And I still see great progress. So just understanding that if you need to limit wear and tear, especially if you're working with, say, more seasoned athletes, for sure, that might be something that you consider uh, for a reason to use these and why you can always default and fall back to these. Uh, so in sports, athletes in movement will be on one leg at a time. So by improving the stability, kind of what we talked about, in those movements will reduce an athlete's risk of injury. They will land and take off from more stable positions than an athlete who only trains from two-legged stances. So it's kind of like if you know if you don't train, if you don't use it, you lose it. So you got to train it to be able to improve that stability, that strength, that power, and then you're going to see that come to fruition once it comes to game day. So by training those, it's going to help you. And then if there's a weaker side, single leg exercises will isolate and strengthen that side. So the further imbalances do not form. This is important because imbalances and compensations can lead to injury, especially if neglected long-term. So you kind of talked about the use it, you lose it. Um, but if you've got an imbalance by doing unilateral and single leg training, you can begin to bridge that gap. And if you can bridge that gap, then what you're going to find is your performance increases, your injury risk decreases, 
uh, and then you overall see better athletes. So again, this is kind of being preventative to some extent, but at the same time, if you know that there's major imbalances, single leg training lets you attack that head on. And for athletes that run, jump, leap, and do all those other things, you will find that there's definitely stronger limbs versus weaker limbs. So even if you can bridge that gap and there's not a major imbalance that's causing issues currently, if you can bridge that, you might be able to reduce the chances of something like that happening in the future, which, you know, as strength and conditioning professionals, trying to get ahead of things is always uh, part of something that we're thinking about. We're trying to be preventative and proactive when we can. So I said I want to talk about the bilateral deficit. So we've got a good uh, little definition here, but bilateral deficit is the difference in maximal or near maximal force generating capacity of muscles when they are contracted alone or in combination with the contralateral muscles. A deficit occurs when the sum of unilateral force is greater than the bilateral force. And so I've got a simple math equation here for you that the strength of your right leg alone plus the strength of your left leg alone is going to be greater than the strength of both of your legs combined. Essentially, that's the bilateral deficit. That if you do a, let's say, a rear foot elbow split squat, one right max with your right, and do it with your left, in total, those will add up to more than if you just do a regular squat. Okay, so just try to keep that in mind that that's what the bilateral deficit is. So it lets us load limbs heavier, which means that we obviously get greater uh, training adaptations. We see benefits there, and that's going to make our athletes stronger, more powerful, more explosive, all those great things. Um, again, this isn't saying that we should ignore doing bilateral work, but it's just saying that by doing this, we can improve the performance and maximize what we're getting out of those training adaptations, which is always huge. All right, next we're going to talk about the SED principle. So quick little definition here if you don't know what that is. So the SED principle is an acronym that stands for Specific Adaptation to Impose Demands. In simpler terms, your body adapts to the excuse me. In simpler terms, your body adapts to the specific demands placed upon it. So if you train for a particular sport or skill, your body will adapt and get better at that specific sport and skill. So most athletes play sports that require being on a single leg at some point during sport. Kind of hammering this home here. But by training these movements, we can increase strength, force production, power, speed, and mechanics more specifically because of this principle. So, you know, again, if you don't use it, you lose it. But if we can be a little more specific in how we're dialing in some of our exercises, how we're trying to lay out our training programs, then what we can find here is that having a little more specificity is going to help their performance on the field, court, pitch, what have you. So um, kind of an obvious, this, is, this goes for just any training in general, regardless of what you're doing. But for single leg training, I find it to be very true that the more that you can train on a single leg for most athletes, the better that's going to help them on the field court and in their competitions. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about here is cross-education. Uh, this is something I don't think many people know about, especially I think strength and conditioning professionals definitely will and you know physical therapists. But I think if you get outside that wheelhouse, we start talking to sport coaches, parents, things like that, they don't understand this. They think that an athlete gets hurt, their time in the weight room is done, they need just to focus on their recovery, um, and that's what it is, you know, the rehab. But cross-education is something that I really, really believe in. I've seen some good results with it with athletes in our facility. They, they seem to bounce back quicker. 
uh, from what I've seen. But cross education uh, is believed to help injured or affected legs or limbs. So you can definitely do this with arms too. But you know, this is today's talk is on single leg training. So I'm just kind of specifically pointing this in towards uh, single leg work. But um, that the affected leg or limb during the recovery and rehab process. By training only the good leg or limb, the neurological benefits are also believed to help the affected leg or limb speed up the recovery process. This makes still training during rehab or recovery a vital piece of the return to play protocol for athletes. Now, this is another great thing of where single leg training can really benefit athletes is that, you know, they go down during a game, they tweak an ankle, um, you know, got a low grade, um, strain or something or sprain, then we can still train the unaffected leg. And hopefully based upon the research, this is going to help speed up that process. Now I can't give you numbers or percentages or anything like that, but let's just say that it shortens the recovery process with a small tweak after a game by a day that might let you play again on Friday or Saturday night. That might let you make the next uh, wrestling tournament or the next cross-country meet, you know, that might bridge that gap a little bit for you, especially if we're talking that you know you've got to miss at least one or two tournaments or games or competitions. Then if you can miss one less, then that makes you more valuable. It makes you more um, beneficial for the team and from the performance perspective. So, you know, anything helps. And it's not like this is um, too taxing on the athlete, especially if they're going to have to sit out. It doesn't hurt to train. It's not like it's going to, you know, hinder your performance. It's not going to make you worse. So you should definitely take advantage of something like this, but bringing this to the limelight uh, for people to understand, I think is also incredibly important. So, um, and again, another thing you can always keep in your back pocket of why you can use single leg training. If something happens to an affected limb during a competition or practice. All right. The other thing I want to talk about here is the gait cycle. And this is going to be a little bit of the, the longer piece and kind of why this is important. Um, so I've got a good visual here. If you happen to be listening, I basically got a picture of the gait cycle. So it's got this guy going through different steps and it's kind of classifying where they're at during gait. And it's highlighted only one leg. So you can see how that leg goes through the whole gait cycle in these essential eight steps. So I'm going to try to walk these through with you um, audibly in case if you're not looking at it visually, but basically as you take that first step forward, we have heel contact. And that's, I'll get to Bill Hartman stuff here in a little bit, but that's basically your early stance, okay? That's the early point that you make contact with the ground, your heel or your heel strike, okay? That's the initial contact. And that's basically considered that you're in stance, okay? Uh, you have support about that leg. Then as you move a little bit further, you've got a loading response. You're still in that stance, but you're not quite um, over your foot yet. It's still in front of you. Um, this, again, is still what I consider early. Okay, This is early by Bill Hartman's uh, model, and we'll talk about how this benefits later. Then we actually get to where the leg is right underneath us. So basically, if you're just standing still, that's where your, your center of mass actually gets over your foot. That's considered mid stance. Okay. That's uh, just standing good and upright. And then we've got, as that leg starts to move back, then it lumps that as terminal stance. So again, you're still supported on that leg, but the leg is actually now behind you, but the leg is still flat. Okay. And then we've got the last part here that it calls pre swing. 
where you are on your toe. And this would be considered late stance by Bill Hartman's model. So you're basically in push off. You're pushing yourself forward through your big toe. And this is really important for hip extension. So um, that's kind of where this goes. And then we've got the swing through phase. So all those first five is just the stances. And the stances we're going to talk about here in just a little bit about how that can help you determine what exercises you're going to pick based upon your exercise selection and the athletes that you have and seasonality and things like that. But essentially those five places are kind of more important. So we've got heel strike or early stance when the bottom, when the foot's out in front of you, when it's right underneath you, then that's mid stance. So again, right underneath you in the middle. And then we've got late stance toe off or what this, uh, model here wants to call pre-swing right before your leg swings and then the final three are the swing phase of gait so you've got the initial swing so after that toe has immediately broken off the ground and you start to bring that leg forward it's now swinging forward okay so why the easiest way i remember this part of the, the gait cycle is the leg swinging forward that's why it's called the swing stance and then we've got the mid swing so actually the knees kind of bent forward essentially you're now if you were looking at the other leg that's on the ground, that would be your mid stance, but this would be your mid swing of your swing leg. And then your terminal swing leg is when that actually comes back out in front of you, your legs in front of you, but it's still in the air. And then it's right before it would hit the ground with your heel, creating that initial heel strike or initial contact. So that is the gait cycle. And that is important because again, we've talked about single leg training for athletes essentially you are in a single leg stance while you do anything like this, that's running, jogging, you know, sprinting, anything like that. This gait cycle is incredibly important. And therefore you can see how this can let us pick exercises based upon what we want our athletes to do. And again, I would highly encourage you to go watch this on, on YouTube, watch the recording, or at least find this, you know, we're around the 17 minute mark to give you an idea. Um, and you can see visually how these legs in their positions are aligned with the body and the center of mass. And that's going to let us pick exercises. Okay. So hopefully that kind of helps you understand what the stride looks like in the gait cycle, all the way from heel contact to toe off and even the swing phase of that leg. So the whole step. Okay. So, Really quickly here with some programming before we go into Bill Hartman's model here in terms of talking about the gait cycle for the single leg part uh, is the programming. And uh, I've just got on here that single leg training can be programmed similar to double leg exercises. Nothing special really happens. You know, training is training adaptations or adaptations. So just if you know your good quality, speed and agility, plyometric, strength, hypertrophy, and endurance programming in terms of sets reps and things like that then this isn't anything new to you you just apply it from a single leg perspective so for speed and agility i've got the you're only going to do around three to six sets of varying distances and times and again this is going to be very specific based upon um, your athlete population that you're working with so you know whether you're doing um a baseball player or a hockey player or a basketball player, the speed and agility exercises that you're going to pick are going to be different for different athletes. I think that's kind of obvious. So your distances and times are going to be kind of uh, specific towards that, but just make sure you understand that. The next is going to be plyometrics. So generally three to six sets of two to five reps, your reps are on the lower end 
Um, again, we want maximal effort here. So regardless of what single leg exercise you're picking, maximal effort, maximal intent, plenty of rest between your sets so that you're completely recovered to be able to generate the most force and obviously see the training benefits and stimulus from that. On your strength side, you're going to have two to five sets of one to five reps. Again, pretty normal. If you look like a back squat or bench press, if you want to build strength, that's generally the sets and reps range you're going to be in. Single leg training is no different. You're just going to do that, obviously, per leg. And here's where you need to notice the differences in terms of the strength that you've got in those limbs. So if you've got a massive difference, you can bridge that gap and help the athlete there. Hypertrophy, again, usually about two to four sets of six to 12 reps. If you're wanting to build size, again, you just do that with your normal rep ranges there. And endurance, again, same thing, two to three sets of 20 plus reps or for a given time. So the nice thing about endurance is you can actually add a time component, say 30, 45 seconds of like, uh, single leg uh, band curls for your hamstrings. You can do something like that for time and you could do 30, 40 seconds per leg. And then that can help you build the endurance qualities at a single leg perspective. So, you know, this isn't anything groundbreaking or earth shattering here, but just making sure that we're all on the same page of, you know, how the programming works when you're coming to pick uh, single leg exercises. Now, programming in mind uh, with the posture in mind, excuse me, uh, using Bill Hartman's uh, he calls it the model. Um, but the big thing here with Bill Hartman's model is that depending where the athlete is in space, we can select single leg exercises to improve mobility, movement capabilities, and address issues out of season, but still increase performance. You could obviously do the same thing in season two. I wrote out of season, but you can do it based upon the seasonality of the athlete based on that gait cycle that we talked about in a few slides. I'm going to go back here in just a second so we can look at that a little more visually. But the reason I really want to talk about this is because depending upon how the athlete presents, you can pick single leg exercises to help address certain things. So in the athletic population, very, very common that we see an anterior tilt or anterior pelvic tilt is what people call it. Um, Bill likes to use anterior orientation, really that the pelvis as a whole is forward and therefore the center of mass of people goes forward. And so you're kind of like over your toes all the time. So your low back, it's tight as a way to keep you upright so you don't fall forward. And then you start to feel tight hamstrings, tight Achilles, uh, tight calves, uh, anything like that. And then that also creates the tonic back and it, it just kind of cascades. And so by using Bill's bottle with a single leg stance, we can implement the gait cycle along with how we load that pattern and then we can improve movement capability. So in athletes, again, we talked about them being usually an anterior orientation. So we would need to shift their center of mass backwards. So if we go back here to the gait cycle one here, we try to see where would our athlete be in this gait cycle if they were forward, very forward. That's what would be considered toe off. And if you look through here, that would be number five, the pre-swing or toe off or late stance, depending all how you want to look at it. Um, Bill uses pretty much all those to some, some degree, but your late stance is that toe off. So again, the center of mass is forward compared to the rest of the body. And so we need to go the opposite direction. So usually we want to pick something that's going to be an early stance or where that initial heel contact is. And that if you look at the second position there, uh, where it says loading response, that looks like a front foot elevated split squat. 
if we just took that foot, elevated it up, help them find the ground sooner. Notice that the shin angle is pretty vertical. The quad is actually back. Their center of mass is pushed back. And then that helps us get the athlete to perform a single leg movement through more range of motion, gets their center of mass pushed back. And then we see improvements in terms of overall movement capabilities, mobility, strength, and all that kind of stuff. Now let's take it the opposite direction. Let's say we're getting this athlete ready for competition. We want to enhance performance as much as possible, especially if we're running straight or as fast as possible. Then we're basically going to go the opposite way. We want to be in that toe-off position, that pre-swing position based on this uh, image that I have here, but that would be toe-off. Then what that exercise looks like is that we want to actually have a front, or I'm sorry, a rear foot elevated split squat. So the rear foot elevated split squat in that case is then going to help push our mass forward even more. And by being pushed forward even more, then what we find is that we increase the ability to generate force. And if we're generating more force into the ground that way, that's going to catapult us forward. And if we're going forward faster, then we can run faster, jump higher, all the great things. Okay. So this is why I really like um, Bill Hartman's model. I've really tried to do my best uh, to learn from Bill and Mike uh, through the IFSU call, which I've talked about in the past. And I've really found that this has helped us pick exercise selections, especially from the single leg perspective. So I can immediately know the way the athlete presents now, what we kind of need, and then I can pick the single leg stance that's the most appropriate. And then when I do that, we're off to the races, we're seeing good progress, and our athletes do a lot better, a lot quicker, and we're not kind of just guessing at what exercise to do. Now, I will say, looking at this gait cycle right here, you can understand why so many people love the rear foot, rear foot elevated split squat or the Bulgarian split squat. It naturally, naturally pushes the center of mass forward, okay? It's in that toe-off position. That's going to increase performance. So that's why so many people like it, and I 100% agree. I like it too. However, if we've got athletes that don't move very well, they're already forward, that's not, not the best exercise to pick at this given time. Let's get them shifted back a little bit, increase those movement opportunities that we can give them, and then when we go forward again, we're going to get more from that. So just understand that you're never always one place on this. You can move back and forth depending upon the seasonality of your athletes and what they're presenting on. So basketball is definitely the one that kind of comes to my mind. They're always, always super tight in their hip flexors hamstrings they've got long limbs they're always really far forward this is a great way to say hey in the offseason for basketball we're gonna do a lot of front foot elevated goblet stuff to shift their shift their center of mass back and then once we get closer towards season then we shift them forward and we go towards more like a bulgarian split squat or something like that and then that lets us go through that gait cycle over the course of a year but we also improve their movement capabilities and what they're doing during that time so that kind of gives you an idea of how we can use uh, Bill Hartman's model to select certain single leg exercises based upon time of year and the way your athletes are presenting. There's obviously more to that. So, I mean, feel free to ask questions uh, if, if you want to reach out to me and I'll try to clear things up a little bit. But I think if you understand just the gist of those, it gives you more ideas. So here I made a list of some of my favorite exercises. Uh, you know, this could, I could really go into a deep dive of, a lot of different ones that I would use for particular reasons, but I obviously love any split squat variation. Every athlete that I train and client that I train does some kind of split squat, every single one of them. This, this is like a non-negotiable. 
in my programming and my facilities programming, everybody's going to do a split squat variation or a lunge, you know, depending on what they're doing with their legs. Um, again, going back to that model, the one that we pick just depends upon what they need. So it could be a front foot elevated, could be rear foot elevated, rear foot elevated, could just be a regular split squat, could be goblet position. We could have a front rack with a barbell, um, anything like that. I kind of lump lunges into this. This could be a you know a reverse lunge, um, double kettlebell, front rack, Bulgarian split squat. It really could be a host of things. But you know, I really drift towards certain ones. I really like the front foot elevated goblet position for people that need more movement, and then I really like just good heavy Bulgarians or people that need to be pushed forward from a sport perspective. Step-ups are another great option. They're great for in-season athletes. There's not really any eccentric loading, but you can still strengthen the tissues uh, in the lower body and still get performance benefits without having to bang them up, especially if they've got a high practice schedule or a very uh, deep competition schedule. This could be fairly important. Next, lateral lunges. Moving to side to side is so important for athletes. And I think lateral lunges are one of the biggest whiffs that we see in programming. Generally, when we work with athletes, they just don't move side to side very well. They don't do it in the weight room outside of their sport. That's all they really do. So, I mean, you can kind of see why these are important. We really like doing these with the slide board or bow slides. Uh, those are really good options for athletes that can do them. Uh, but Kozak squats are another good one for athletes that need to move really well. Uh, we like to do that to keep their mobility good, but still develop that strength. And then single leg RDL variations, huge for loading up the hamstrings on the eccentric perspective. I think, again, these are one of the most common single leg exercises that you see people do. But again, depending upon how you hold the load, kind of turns your body right or left certain ways. We can manipulate that if we need to, if we need to turn athletes to the right, to the left, uh, and what, you, what have you, how you hold the weights. There's plenty of options. You, know, you can use it rack supported. You can do kickstand. You could do landmine. Um, Lots of options there. Uh, single leg jumps and bounds, kind of a no-brainer. We're going to athletes. You're going to have to jump from a single leg perspective um, at some point, and in more cases than not in your sport. So, you know, we really like single leg box jumps, single leg hurdle hops, different boundings, uh, variations, things like that. And then one another one that's really not classified as single leg training but is, is pushing slowers, pushing, sorry, pushing prowlers and sleds and doing different marching variations with them. It's going to mimic uh, the gait cycle, especially in terms of running. If you are running with it or if you're pushing it really heavy, you can see that forward lean. You can see that knee drive. You can see that toe off. There's a lot of the mechanics that you can see, and you can spend more time there and help, again, the athletes move really good. The other thing that we don't think about, though, is that even doing reverse sled drags also mimic this. It's definitely more of a backpedaling, but, again, it gets our center of mass back, opens the backside up. But again, it's still some single leg training as well. So don't neglect things like that. I think they're very low hanging fruit exercises that you can do. But on top of that, because of the concentric only motion of the exercise, you can really still load these up regardless of time of year and still see a lot of benefits. So uh, hopefully that gives you some idea of the way that I think of programming and the exercises that I'm going to try to use with athletes. And then, you know, just being time of year and how advanced the athlete is kind of depicts on the exercises that I'm picking and how we're loading them and things like that. And that's all I've got for today. Super short one, um, especially compared to last week's. Um, but I really just kind of wanted to talk on the gist of single leg training, you know, the basics, some of the, the little things that need to be kept in mind for you to benefit 
from the single leg training, why it's important. Um, to end this discussion, I'll kind of tell you kind of how we do stuff and then we'll wrap it up from there. So the way that I look at single leg training uh, specifically is I put a lot more single leg stuff as we get ready for seasons or we're in seasons. I try to make that as, as close to specific as possible, you know, reverting back to that said principle. And then in the off season, I go back to doing a little bit more bilateral work. Again, there's still always some kind of single leg component in all my training programs, but I tend to push it uh, throughout the season, depending upon the athlete and what they do. So let's take a cross country runner. For example, I do a lot more single leg work with them just in general. If you've ever trained cross country athletes, you know that they're not really big on super heavy lifting. They just kind of avoid it. I don't know if I want to say they're scared, but they, they're apprehensive, apprehensive, I guess is the best way for me to put it. Um, and so I, I'm, I try to acknowledge that and say, you know, I'm not going to make them back squat. If I can get them to lift heavier with a goblet split squat than I could with a barbell, which is a very good chance that it happens quite a bit, then I'm really kind of checking the boxes here with that bilateral deficit and loading the weight up more. So I, I don't really see, uh, you know, a reason to beat a dead horse here. So I, I kind of look at it that way, but it, just in general, their plyometrics get to be way more single leg stance during the season uh, and preseason. And then when the season's over, uh, we go to we do some bilateral work. We move side to side. We have them move ways that they're normally not used to doing. And then, you know, we develop a better athlete from top to bottom. And that's the way that it should be. Uh, but I also like using things like the safety bar or a front rack position uh, for our split squats. I love using those, especially for like baseball and softball, uh, wrestling, anything that's looks more athletic. That's just the best way to put it. It looks more athletic. Again, I'm not against the back squat. I got a powerlifting background. I love the back squat, but if I find ways that I can challenge my athletes more, especially as we get closer towards different seasons and it looks more like the sport, that's ultimately what I want. I think that just bodes well better for everybody in terms of performance enhancement, buy-in. And then when they, they get better and they win, then it's, you know, it makes you feel good. So um, but again, we can also talk about, I talked about dynamic effort training last month for athletes. And again, you can use your single leg training here for your dynamic effort work. And we do that a lot with many high school kids. Um, many of my soccer girls right now are doing dynamic effort work with the safety squat bar for their split squats because they're in a single leg stance so much during sport. So I want to develop the power and speed and maintain that quality during season as much as I can in a single leg stance. And then when the season's over, then we'll go back to doing box squats and, you know, front squats and whatever squatting variations that we've got on the docket for them and that, that particular athlete. And so I think just trying to marry yourself towards one or the other, that usually doesn't work. It's usually somewhere in the middle always when it comes to training and determining what you want out of training and what you want out of those exercises. And single leg training is one of those things too. You know, I, I highly respect Mike Boyle. He's a single leg only guy. I think that's too far one way. And then you'll find other people that are just, you know, double leg squats, box squats and conjugate stuff. And I think that's another too far away. I think we need to be somewhere in the middle where we can take some of that stuff from the conjugate and the double leg guys. And we can take some stuff from Mike Boyle and implement that. And we've got a happy medium where we're kind of checking both those boxes, but we're not too far one way, too far the other. And we, we make progress we make sure we check enough boxes throughout the season, I guess. So that's all I've got today for single leg training. Kind of rambled there at the end, but hopefully you took something away. 
um, benefited from this. Uh, feel free to, again, ask questions. This will be up on YouTube after the fact. You can go back and watch it if you want to watch it. Which again, it's a pretty quick one. Um, if you're happy to watch this after the fact, thanks for tuning in and watch, uh, watching. If you happen to swing by the live stream and catch it for a couple of minutes, I saw some people drop in. Again, I appreciate that as well. Um, that's all that I've got today on this topic, and we will see you next month uh, for this Q&A topic. I don't have anybody here to ask questions, so I don't have any questions answered today, so that's why it's a little bit quick. And uh, But you can leave the questions after the fact. I'll still answer them. It's not a big deal. But if you want to do a live Q&A uh, and, and come talk shop with me, you're more than welcome to. Again, it's the first Saturday of every month. Um, so the next one here, I'll give you the actual date in case you happen to listen to this in the past is actually November 5th. So November 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time will be here. I usually determine the topics usually about two weeks in advance. So when I get those topics determined, I usually let you know on social media. So for information there, just follow me on Instagram at bsmitley and I'll have all that ready for you. And that's all I've got for today. So again, thanks for tuning in and have a great week and we'll see you next month at the next Q&A. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Make sure you give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you like to consume your podcast. You can also check us out on YouTube at The Smitley, where you'll find clips and lots of educational-based material for strength and conditioning and exercise science. You can also make sure you give me a follow on Instagram at The Smitley or at Team Thirst, which is my gym Instagram page. For any more future updates on episode to come, you can make sure you follow me there. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you at the next episode.